1: Welcome to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm your host, Heather Vale, and joining me today is Julian High, President and CEO of the United Way of Southern Nevada. UWSN was started in 1957 as the United Fund of Clark County, and the organization is celebrating its 65th anniversary this year. During those six and a half decades, the Las Vegas community has grown
2: 97%,
1: and UWSN now serves one in four Southern Nevadans across the Valley. Julian, thank you so much for being here today.
2: Heather, it is such a pleasure and thank you so much for being the first place that we stop to talk about our 65th anniversary and celebrate wow. the, the United Way of Southern Nevada.
1: That's quite the honor that I'm your first stop. I appreciate that.
2: <laughs> oh, it's, no, it's our honor to be here, so we Thank you so much.
1: So I think everyone has heard of the United Way, but what exactly does the organization do?
2: United Way is the leading convener and collaborator in the nonprofit sector. We bring together um, people with multiple um, disciplines and energies around different uh, issues in the community to really help people solve problems and get help into the hands of people here in Southern Nevada who need it most. Now, we're not a direct services agency, meaning we don't provide direct services to individuals, but we raise the money through corporate campaigns and other uh, private philanthropic sources that enable us to fund many projects. We're now up to forty-four across the Southern Nevada Valley.
1: Okay, when you say solve problems, what kinds of problems are we talking about?
2: Uh, we're talking about people who need help with paying their light bill, or their or their or their gas bill, or their. You know, and NV Energy has been a great partner with us uh, in that endeavor of making sure that we can support the community in that uh, and getting food to people who who need help and supporting those organizations. Um, that really do that one. So when I say direct services, I mean, we're not, we don't have the, the, the infrastructure and the apparatus to directly feed people, but we have a, the inspiration and the aspiration to raise the dollars to fund organizations that then go, then go out and do that work.
1: How would people find out about these different services that your partner organizations offer? And what are the criteria for using those services?
2: Sure, well, um, th- so let me just say that the easiest thing to always do is to go to uwsn.org, and uh, and and my and my, and my um, PR and marketing team—they they always assure me that I'm not going to flub it too much because that's always to go to. But really, um, with our forty-four um, uh, partners in the community, they each have their own criteria for deciding what people um, what people need to provide them before they're able to give give them services. But in order to become one of our partners, we put organizations through a rigorous process. Well, we validate the work they're doing. And we're we're checking in every quarter to make sure that they're in compliance. And I think we have one of the finest teams uh, in the Valley around compliance and and, and adhering to standards that are um, as close to the federal guidelines as possible, because we're experienced in doing that. And that's one of the things about working with United Way, you know, is you get an experienced team of folks who are able to really make sure that Every single dollar that we raise is being used responsibly and being used to help people in the greatest um, in in the greatest capacity.
1: Nice. Okay, so 1957, Las Vegas was a completely different world back then. How exactly has Las Vegas changed in the years since your organization began?
2: Well, you you know, I'm really sort of humbled when I think about it. 1957 was more than a decade before I was born. And so to know that I get to sit in this seat and and be thinking about how to help the greatest number of people in need in this community. And I am the inheritor of a great tradition of people who have done that like Mr. Bill Boyd and Mr. Don Snyder uh, and others in this community is really, really a humbling and sobering responsibility. But in saying that, um, you know, the needs haven't gotten any more complex People um, people are hungry, and people are without power, and people need jobs, and that never changes. I mean, that is the continuum, no matter if we're serving one in four, or we're serving four. I mean, that is just the reality of what exists in our society today. And I believe that the United Way's role, as it has evolved over time, has been to just be the caring and giving and generous heart that I know Las Vegas to be. Uh, I, I had the pleasure of, of sitting with Don Snyder, one of our earliest supporters a few over the weekend and was just inspired by his generosity and his kindness. And there's so many other people like that who've been associated with United Way for now 65 years, that we plan to celebrate them. And we plan to highlight them and showcase them over the over the course of the next year, because we are so grateful for their contributions.
1: So if there's going to be a celebration, Las Vegas is obviously the place to do it.
2: What obviously, exactly? Right?
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> what exactly is UWSN doing to celebrate this huge 65th anniversary?
2: Well, yeah, drum roll, drum roll. So you know, I think about, um, I think about, and I'm so. I mean, this is really so much fun to be thinking about. How do we, over the course of a year. Uh, reach back to our elders and forward to the people who, generationally, we have a responsibility to. But the first thing that we're going to do that's that's been announced, there may be some surprise moments that happened um, before, but the, but the golf tournament will happen on May the 26th at the Revere Golf Club. And I want to encourage everyone to please show up and show out on the golf course on May the 26th at the Revere Golf Club for our Golf United Tournament. And our team is working so hard to make sure that you're going to have a good time and we're going to have some good weather. And then we're going to have a celebration with KLUC's Chet Buchanan right after um, the, the the last foursome has finished. And I can't wait to be there. I mean, I don't know how to play golf. I'm going to be honest with you, but I'm going to find me some clothes <laughs> to wear that makes it look like I <laughs> maybe I'm credible. You know? So <laughs> looking forward to it.
1: I don't know how to play golf either. Every time I've tried to play golf, people say I'm swinging like I'm playing
2: hockey. So
1: you know, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't about, know the a, difference. Too, right? No, I get it. I mean, but it's going to be a fun, 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 fun day. And I think that in having the golf tournament be our kickoff event, it's really um a nod back to our history when you know everyone um, in Southern Nevada, the business community, supported United Way of Southern Nevada, and this is. We're going back to our roots, as RuPaul would say.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. So if people want to find out more about all the celebrations that are going on this year, including the golf tournament, you told us UWSN.org. What else are they going to find out when they go to the website and start looking around?
2: So we're so we're so excited. And I know that, I know that your listeners can't see, but we have um, our beautiful... 65th anniversary united way logo and we, we, we've really been spending gold
1: glitter and it's beautiful it's i have to glitter. tell everyone listening oh. it's it's gorgeous
2: oh th- you know we're in vegas you know we have to do it we have to do it how they do the it vegas, vegas way right? yeah <laughs> so um so really uh, uh, at our website at uwsn.org slash 65 you can find out all the fun exciting things that we're going to be doing to tell las vegas thank you and to honor those who have been so amazing and getting us it to year 65 and I couldn't be more humbled to be the president and CEO of this organization as we enter this very very critical time.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. So listeners again, if you want to find out more about the 65th anniversary celebrations, go to uwsn.org/65 and while you're there at uwsn.org, take a look around, find out more about what The United Way of Southern Nevada does, and potentially how you can tap into the services of their partner organizations. So it's all there at uwsn.org. And Julian, I want to thank you so much for being here, making us the first stop, and telling Southern Nevada all about what's going on with the United Way of Southern Nevada this year.
2: Well, and it's my distinct pleasure and honor again to be here. Thank you so much for helping us to celebrate everything that's United Way in Southern Nevada, and I look forward to. Seeing you in person, I hope, sometime very soon.
1: Absolutely. Thanks again.
2: Thank you. I'm Julian Hive, President and CEO of United Way of Southern Nevada, inviting you to join me and Chet Buchanan to tee off for a good cause at our 65th anniversary Golf United Tournament on Thursday, May 26th at the Revere Golf Club. Together, we will celebrate 65 years of serving the Southern Nevada community and honor the legends and leaders who are trailblazing the path for future generations. Buy your tickets today at uwsn.org golf.
1: Good morning and welcome to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vail and joining me today is Michelle Saldivar, Outreach Coordinator at Prevent Child Abuse Nevada. April is Child Abuse Prevention Month, and PCA Nevada's mission is to ensure that children thrive in safe, stable, and nurturing environments and relationships. This is accomplished by providing education, advocacy, and awareness, inspiring communities to get on board with preventing all forms of child maltreatment. Michelle, thank you so much for being here with us today.
3: Diana, thank you for you know letting us take space and be part of this. So thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
3: So how big is the issue of child abuse here in Nevada? I would say, I mean, pretty greatly, I know you do hear like every now and again, usually when people contact us throughout the years, usually because, you know, they hear of a story, of, you know, either a child being abused or unfortunately the death of a child. Um, and certainly with the with the pandemic, you may seem like those cases have gone down, but in reality it's just that people are not able to report them because they don't have, you know, they didn't have contact with children like they normally do, like with teachers and counselors. So COVID-19 has definitely impacted that, but Um, Yeah, it's still a really prominent issue in the state of Nevada.
1: What is Prevent Child Abuse Nevada doing to help make a difference?
3: Yeah, so the way that we try to approach the situations is one is so we do um, advocacy, so, right, so. Like recently, we were up in Carson City to doing doing a uh, a pinwheel planting at the at the state legislative lawn. But um, we really work with um, different organizations to make sure that you know laws that support families are being passed with issues. You know, like where they have affordable you know housing and you know with like food insecurity things like that because that adds pressure to parents and that's what, you know, sometimes unfortunately causes parents to kind of outlash, you know, towards their children. So um, we really wanna try to focus on supporting families and not in like direct, you know, like blame to the families. Um, So one of them is that way through advocacy, try to make sure that those laws, you know, that help families or supporting families get passed. Mm -hmm. Um, Another way is we do um, parenting classes so we offer triple B positive classes um english and spanish are completely free to the community um, we do different classes like on toxic stress so you know just being a human in today's world how that stress can affect you and how that can kind of lead into the family and then we do outreach so we do education as well we do have different resources for parents so we do like tips for parenting um we have guides on like social media apps so like you know nowadays with like kids that are you know on TikTok tock 24 7 youtube things like that or um even the, you know the more mainstream facebook um instagram stuff like that so we have a lot of you know different resources to help guide parents and community members and even just kind of checking in with somebody a family just making sure that you know how they're doing can can greatly impact so those are the t- type of things that we try to support um the community with
1: Okay. Now you mentioned a pinwheel planting. Tell us more about the pinwheels and why pinwheels are associated with child abuse.
3: Yeah, so um, back in 2008, our national office, Provincial Abuse America, um, came out with this awareness campaign, uh, the Pinwheels for Prevention. So for Pinwheels for Prevention, um, the goal is to, again, bring awareness, but in a more positive light. So we try not to focus so much on either the statistics or the certain death of a child, but more of what, as a community, what we can do. So the pinwheel represents the happy, healthy childhoods that we want all kids to have. Um, and so, during the month again of April, you will either kind of see a, you know us doing our Go Blue Day or doing pinwheel plantings throughout the state. So, we partner up with different organizations throughout the state. So, in you know different counties, we do Washoe, um, Hamble, Lyon, so all of the smaller ones, um, Carson as well. So, just to kind of make sure that you know um, we bring as much awareness to April as possible, and then what we can do further throughout the year, not just in April itself.
1: Okay, so it sounds like you guys are doing a lot to bring awareness and to provide advocacy, but what can the community do to help prevent child maltreatment and abuse?
3: Yeah, so uh, honestly, it's really as simple as just checking in with either a family that you know, or, you know, if you work with kids, just kind of checking in with them, just because a a simple, hey, how are you doing, will go a really long way. And so what we do also is we do like our advocacy 101 class as well. So kind of gives an overview, you know, how certain of how laws are passed and how, you know, with certain bills, how you can advocate to make sure that those get, get passed as well. And then we also do like different, like even volunteer at your local like family like resource center, right? So just kind of seeing what supports they need, whether it be some more material things, so you know, clothing or things like that, or more support of saying, hey, you know, like if you need, you know, a trusting adult, like if you need somebody, you know, to care to take care while you go and you know, give yourself some self care for a parent or guardian, you know, it can be as simple as that.
1: Now, obviously, we need to be careful about making accusations, but what should people do if they suspect possible child abuse?
3: Yeah, so we do have, like, if it is suspected, one kind of just, you know, talk to the person first and try to get, you know, just a bit of like information. But we do have, you know, like uh, the um, 1-833-803-1183, which is in Clark County, um, number where they could call, and that would be certain, all the surrounding areas. And you know, if there is a suspect of, of child abuse or maltreatment, giving a call and just kind of making that report of saying, "Hey, you know, this is what I've noticed," either just either have it on record because sometimes they don't follow right away. Depends on the the agency, but it's always good to have it in on record. Okay, what's your organization's connection with UNLV? Yeah, so Provincial Abuse Nevada is housed at the Nevada Institute for Children's Research and Policy, which is at the, the School of Public Health at UNLV. Um, so it is. So we're part of the research institute here at the at UNLV, the School of Public Health. And so we try to do, you know, like campus involvement. Um, we have a couple of different projects that go on on the research center, but the Provincial Abuse Nevada is, is one of them.
1: So how do people find out more about your initiatives or if they wanna access some of the resources and services, maybe even take one of the available classes? Where do they find out more information? Yeah, so
3: we have a couple different avenues there. So we have, we are on Facebook, so prevent child abuse Nevada on Facebook. We also do have a Twitter, but the main one would probably be our website. So um, prevent child abuse. Um, if they just Google, it'll be the first link because we're linked with the NICRP web page. So that first link that pops up, they can click on it. And you know, we have on there our main page where it shows either the classes that we're hosting for that month. We do have like an events calendar where we don't just focus on our events, but also community events around or like if they're nationwide as well, since it is you know a Nevada initiative. They're also like if there is suspicion of abuse, we have more information on how to follow up as well on on our website, nic.unlv.edu slash word PCANV, um, Mm -hmm. and that should uh, send them over, uh, direct them to our website.
1: Got it. Okay. So they're they're accessing part of the UNLV website. Correct. Yeah.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Okay. Awesome. What else do you have to say to the community about this issue? And what would you like to leave them with?
3: Definitely I think our highlight would be just to kind of you know, either whether you are um, a community like member or even in your household, just kind of check up on your neighbor. You know, again, it could be simply as just saying hello. I know uh, some people are very, you know, kind of off-putting where they just, you know, don't really want to, you know, like with their neighbors are not that close, but even then like, or your colleague, your coworker, you know, just checking in just to see how, um, and even people that don't necessarily have children as well, just checking in because, you know, with this, all the stress that we get of just being, you know, a human today in this, in this world, it can be very stressful. So um that would probably my main thing is just kind of checking in with somebody, even if they're not either related to you or they're not your neighbor, just, you know, checking in.
1: Okay. And what if someone wants to, you know, plant
3: pinwheels in their front yard or something? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, again, even like as a home project, I know we have like families, either like organizations that, because we we do offer pinwheels um, usually at the beginning of the month, uh, well, in March uh, for organizations to order or even individuals themselves and make it like, you know, a home project to do with their kids. So they could definitely reach out to us. At this point our inventory is, is pretty low because it's already you know starting at the beginning of the month but we do try our best to make sure that you know either we or have whatever we have available or even uh, we have like pinwheel handmaking kits as well. So again it could be a full-on like little you know arts project.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, thank you so much Michelle for being here with us today and for telling us more about what Prevent Child Abuse Nevada does and how
3: the community can get involved. Yeah, no, thank you for, again, for giving us a space and allowing us to, you know, talk about this this topic that, again, is it's pretty uh, prevalent here in, in the state of Nevada.
1: And a very serious topic as well that, mm-hmm. that definitely needs to have light shone on it. So thank you for helping to do that as well.
4: Thank you. Stress can damage your health if you don't manage it properly, especially if you're caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's disease. As part of National Stress Awareness Month this April, the
1: Alzheimer's Foundation of America is reminding family caregivers that its helpline is available seven days a week to provide support and make the challenges of caregiving a little easier. Contact the Alzheimer's Foundation of America's helpline at 866-232-8484 or visit www.alzfdn.org. Good morning and welcome to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and joining me today is Danielle Holmes, the Las Vegas Operations Director for the Children's Cabinet. Danielle oversees all of the organization's programming, which supports parents and child care providers in Las Vegas. Danielle, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, Heather. So what exactly does the Children's Cabinet do for parents and child care providers?
4: Well, since 2010 in Las Vegas, the Children's Cabinet's mission has been to keep children safe and families together by providing services and resources. And we have a variety of resources throughout the state. And in Las Vegas, our focus is to assist child care providers with tools and resources and to support parents with our free parenting classes. What
1: kinds of tools and resources are we talking about here?
4: Oh, so we uh, have a menu of trainings, and we also do on-site coaching uh, with different child care providers to help them improve quality and to give them support with their services. Um, We have a substitute teacher network. So we, um, we have six teachers that can go out to licensed child care centers and licensed family child care homes to support them. We have a team of experts that go out to uh, help support child care centers, to help them understand challenging behavior, and give them the tools that they need to support the children and families in their programs.
1: Why do you think these services are necessary for parents and child care providers?
4: I think that they are not only necessary, but they're crucial. You know, as parents, we're not given a handbook or a guide, sometimes we're going on what we know. And one of my main beliefs is that parents do the best they can with the skills that they have. Mm -hmm. And if a parent's willing to learn or to see a different way or to um, do some research on their own about helping support their children, um, it helps our children grow and develop. So you mentioned
1: parenting classes. What kinds of topics do these parenting classes cover?
4: So many of our parenting classes help parents prepare children for kindergarten. We also have topics like bonding through play and even what to expect during your child's development. And then for child care providers, we cover everything from what activities to do with children to inspire social emotional learning, how to manage challenging behavior as it comes up, and how to create a diverse learning environment for the little ones.
1: What kind of feedback have you gotten from parents in particular who have taken the classes or accessed some of the other services?
4: So we've gotten very positive feedback from parents. Um, Usually they're really thankful and they seem to ask for more. And um, so one of the questions we ask parents is, you know, what else can we help you with or what would you like to see? And so we can tailor our trainings to meet their needs.
1: Okay. So if someone's listening and they're a parent and they want to access your services or they want to find out more information about some of the services or the class schedule, the class topics, how would they find
4: out more? So they can visit our website at children'scabinet.org for more information or they can call us at 702 825 8978. Okay, so that's childrenscabinet.org,
1: childrenscabinet.org, and all the information is there, or go ahead and give them a call, 702-825-8978. Well, Danielle, this has been really exciting, because I didn't even know that this kind of services existed in the Las Vegas Valley, and I'm sure there's lots of parents listening who would like to find out more about it, so go to childrenscabinet.org. And Danielle, thank you so much for being here with us and letting us know about this. Thank you. And thank you very much for
4: having me today, Heather.
0: Learning your child has cancer causes an emotional and financial crisis. Often the best place for treatment is far from home. But with the help of the National Children's Cancer Society, children battling cancer can get to life-saving treatment, whether it's across town or across the country. To learn how we give families hope and give their children the best shot at survival, Visit thenccs.org. That's T H E N C C S.org. Because no family should go through childhood cancer alone.
1: Good morning and welcome to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and joining me today is Kira Byrne, founder and co-CEO of Green Our Planet. Kira is a documentary filmmaker and social impact entrepreneur. She and Kim Macquarie founded Green Our Planet in 2013, creating one of the largest and most comprehensive school, garden and hydroponics programs in the country. She was chosen from over 5,000 applicants as one of 20 nonprofit leaders to be a 2019 Obama Fellow. And the Obama Foundation is helping Green Our Planet to scale their program across the United States and beyond. Kira, thank you so much for being here today.
5: Thank you. I'm delighted to be
1: here. So, could you let us know what prompted you to start Green Our Planet in the first place?
5: Yes. So essentially, Kim and I are documentary filmmakers by background, but we've had the privilege of working all over the world and seeing so many beautiful places and really becoming very passionate about the planet and all that it has to offer us. And I think here in Las Vegas, where Kim grew up, um, we felt that students didn't always have the opportunity to connect to the planet in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. And our thought was, well, if we could build gardens at the schools, get students to fall in love with the planet through their school garden, then when they grow up, they would want to be the next generation of scientists, conservationists, and so on, who want to protect the planet. So that's essentially how it started.
1: What has the student feedback been to the school gardens and being able to work in the gardens and create their own produce?
5: Oh, that's a great question. So the students love working in the gardens. I mean, what's not to love about getting out of your classroom and being outside with the butterflies and bees and hummingbirds and you're getting to grow food and then you harvest it and you prepare it into nice meals for your, you know, friends in your class, and, and then the fifth grade students and middle and high school students run their gardens and their hydroponics programs as businesses. So they write a business plan, they run farmers markets at their schools, or they join us at the giant student farmers market that we have twice a year, so it's fun. And speaking of that giant farmers market, what are you guys planning to do for Earth Day this year? Ah, so on Earth Day, April 22nd of this year is going to be a very special day. We are going to have our largest student-run farmer's market in the United States. Over 500 students from all across the Clark County School District are going to come to downtown Summerlin, and they're going to run a huge, giant farmer's market. So they're going to be selling the fruits and veggies from their school gardens and their hydroponic systems. They're also making crafts, like they make soap using herbs from their gardens and bath bombs and art pieces and all kinds of really cool things are going to be for sale at the farmer's market in downtown Summerlin.
1: Okay, so you mentioned 500 student farmers.
5: How many students are involved in the program across the country? So we have over 150,000 students now working with us, which is awesome. We're in 15 states, uh, all the way from north of the Arctic Circle in in Alaska, all the way to Brooklyn in downtown, you know, Brooklyn in New York, to obviously here all across Vegas and Henderson and Florida, you name it. We're in in 16 states, actually, right now.
1: Wow, that's great. What kind of growth are you planning over
5: the next few years? Well, we actually, our team sees this essentially as chapter one in the Greener Planet story. Essentially, now we have created best practices around outdoor school garden programs and hydroponics programs. And our goal now is to take the programs that we've tested and proven are successful and scale them to thousands of schools all across the country and then beyond into other countries too.
1: Now, you mentioned Alaska and I keep thinking, what on earth do they grow in Alaska? But obviously they do grow stuff. So how does the gardening program change from state to state,
5: climate to climate? Ah, yes, okay, that's a great question, Heather. So. What happens is here in Vegas, we we have built over the last few years, 196 outdoor gardens. So these are large seven to 10,000 square feet gardens with orchards and raised beds and outdoor classrooms and so on and so forth. Outside of Nevada, we do our hydroponics program. And hydroponics, as you know, is indoor farming. And what's so awesome about that, especially in places like Alaska, is when it's minus 50 degrees outside and students can't grow anything By the way, for nine months of the year, they actually have hydroponic systems set up in their school. So, for example, Vini, Alaska, it's a small village of 160 Athabascan people north of the Arctic, 70 miles north of the Arctic Circle. They normally pay $9 for a head of lettuce. And their principal, Bob Pym, wrote to us and said, Hey, can you get your systems to the Arctic Circle? Because, you know, I think if my students can grow food, it will make such a difference for our community. So we sent three of our large systems up to Vinita, Alaska. And the students have been growing the food all the way through COVID and feeding feeding their community. And this is a community, like I said, that $9 for a head of lettuce is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so since we worked in Vinita, the other schools north of the Arctic Circle in the Fort Yukon School District, they've also joined in. So now we've got, you know, Schools all across the Arctic growing food when it's super cold outside, and they're growing all the food for their community. Wow, that's crazy in a good way. <laughs> good crazy, yeah, yeah. And everyone's doing it. We just provide the technology, which are the, obviously the hydroponic systems, and then we provide the trainings. Why is it that you refer
1: to Green Our Planet as a STEM
5: program? So STEM, as you know, is science, technology, engineering, and math. And, you know, let's take Nevada, for example. So the number of jobs increasing here in STEM is double the number of non-STEM jobs. So, So the actual STEM sector and the jobs in the STEM sector is increasing at a phenomenal rate, right? However, we have companies like Tesla and Google and Facebook and Switch and Amazon here in our state and they're looking for all these STEM employees, and they're not able to hire Nevadans because our students are not educated in STEM. And so our goal is to change that. We want, you know, to help create the next generation of scientists, engineers, conservationists, farmers, chefs, and so on and so forth. And uh, one of the key ways to do that is by getting students excited about STEM through outdoor school gardens, but also hydroponics programs.
1: Okay. How are you using your film and TV background to enhance the program?
5: So Kim and I, as I mentioned earlier, we have a background in, in film. In fact, we ran a film company called Line Television for many years, and we made films for 20 years all around the world. And Kim, who's originally from Las Vegas, he actually is like the Indiana Jones of filmmaking, meaning like he spent a year living in Siberia filming grizzly bears. He spent a year in the Amazon rainforest living on top of a a tower filming harpy eagles. So he's like this, you know, goes out to wild places and and spends a long time there filming animals and stuff. And so... From the very beginning at Greener Planet, we've always had film as an important component. However, during COVID, everything really changed when schools closed and teachers were at home and kids were at home and they had no access to their garden or their hydroponic systems. And so what we did and we were able to pivot very quickly, we were able to get our team and train our farmers, our hydroponics team, our nutrition chefs, And we train them how to film themselves in their kitchen out in the garden with the hydroponic systems and they started doing lessons on their phones and then we start editing them and now since you know we're able to film in person we have our cinematographers out there filming our team doing lessons and then the teachers are able to share all of the lessons online which works really well
1: let's talk a little bit more about the earth day giant student farmers market happening at downtown Summerlin. What will shoppers experience? Take us through what it's going to be like to actually go there on Earth Day and experience this big farmer's market.
5: So the giant student farmer's market, let me tell you, it is the best day of the year. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. And it's simply because, first of all, the teachers tell us the kids get selected, right, to, to be the ones to represent their school. And there's a lot of fierce. Com- Competition to be the people representing their school and running the market. And so the kids who are chosen, apparently, teachers have told us they can't sleep for weeks leading up to it. They're so excited. And then, obviously, the morning of the market, they're busy outside in their gardens harvesting all the food so it's super fresh. And then they get on their buses and they arrive in downtown Summerlin and they spill out of the buses. We have a mariachi band from Knutson Middle School that's gonna be playing uh, at the market to welcome the students. And then they'll all fill up all the 50 boots where they'll be selling their, their fruits and veggies and their crafts. And it's just a high state of excitement. And the students have been trained, right? They, they've done followed a, a farmpreneur program where they've learned how to write the business plan. They've learned about advertising and marketing and they figured out how to price all their product. And the other thing they've done, which I just want to warn consumers is they have been trained in negotiations. So what that means is when you are being asked to pay $5 for a carrot, don't pay it, remember? Negotiate with the students, you can get a better deal. AKA haggle with the students. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. They've been trained. So they're going to ask the highest price they can get. But listen, you can negotiate. So they've been they've negotiating skills. That's great. I mean,
1: everybody needs negotiating skills, right? So why not start when you're a student farmer market employee? (laughs) What are some of the crops that do particularly
5: well at the schools here in the Las Vegas Valley? Well, you know, we're so lucky here in Las Vegas because, you know, We have sunshine most of the year. We don't get a lot of rain, but that's okay because we use drip irrigation in the school garden. So we don't have to worry too much about the water. And then we have organic soil that we use. So we actually have almost perfect growing conditions here all year long. So we do really well in the summer with all the root crops, you know, like the the melons and the, you know, the squashes and all they like basically explode during the summer. And then the winter crops, like all the greens and so on, they do really, really well here. so there are some things that don't do super well. Like we can't grow avocado here or any of the tropical fruits like pineapple and banana. However, I will say that some schools live in sort of more microclimates or they're, they're situated. And so I know that, for example, at Knutsen Middle School, they have a very successful banana tree, which you wouldn't normally expect in our climate. But, you know, some of the schools are able to um, to grow more exotic fruits and veggies
1: Do you see much of students getting so excited about the school gardens that they
5: go home and start their own home gardens as well? We do see that. Teachers report that a lot of the students, when they go home, when they've learned how to grow food, they they want to do it at home. And, you know, many of our students actually don't have gardens at home, but they're growing food on balconies and pots. And some of our students um, create these homemade hydroponic systems where they're growing food as well. And we love that. We love to hear those stories.
1: Okay. So if any of the listeners are now super excited about going to the giant student farmers market and seeing what the local students have been growing at their school, it's on earth day, but can you give us the details and where people
5: can find more information? Absolutely. Yeah. So if you go to the Greener Planet website and look under events, you'll find out all about the farmers market there. And the other thing I would like to point out, it's in downtown Summerlin. But what's exciting this year is for the first time, downtown Summerlin is doing a bigger Earth Day Festival and it's running on Friday and Saturday. So, in addition to the Giant Student Farmers Market, anybody who comes down will be able to go into the Earth Day Festival at the Downtown Summerlin and there's tons of things going on in there. All kinds of booths and things for sale and fun games to play and there's it's and it's all Down where the uh, downtown Summerlin Farmer's Market takes place on Saturday, that's where our Farmer's Market is. And then the Earth Day Festival is in the green area uh, right in front of there. So you won't be able to miss it. And there'll be great parking and all the rest. So is the Farmer's Market on Friday and Saturday or just the Friday? Our Farmer's Market is just on Friday, but the Earth Day Festival is Friday and Saturday. Got it, okay. So Earth Day, Friday, April
1: 22nd, and the farmer's market will be running from 9.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. And if you wanna find out more information, you can go to greenourplanet.org, greenourplanet.org. Kira, thank you so much for being here with us today and letting people know. I'm sure there's plenty of residents in Las Vegas who don't even know that this kind of program is going on or that there's such a giant farmer's market happening on Earth Day. So I want to thank you so much for your time and for sharing this with us.
5: Thank you, Heather. It's uh, my delight to talk about such fun program. Thank you.
2: When I was younger, I may have did some stupid things, even committed some crimes, but I'm not a criminal. I work for youth advocate programs, YAP. I was Tamani's advocate, helping him stay out of jail, stay in the neighborhood, and get a job.
6: As a little kid, I experienced trauma and I acted out. Made some mistakes, but
4: I'm not a mistake. As Jalen's YAP advocate, I'm always here for her. YAP is a community-based alternative to youth incarceration and neighborhood violence. Youth advocate programs. Learn how at YAPinc.org. You're listening to the Odyssey
1: Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm your host, Heather Vale, and today I'm speaking with those responsible for the future of healthy eating within the Las Vegas culinary industry. Annarella Jordan is the creative mind behind Flavors for Life, a nonprofit organization designed to educate the Las Vegas community on healthy cooking and healthy eating in order to help beat the obesity epidemic. Her passion has always been to work on prevention and to give back to her community. Michael Haddobass is a culinary arts instructor at Southwest Career and Technical Academy. Before becoming an educator, he spent seven years as a pastry chef with the Wolfgang Puck Fine Dining Group in both Las Vegas and Singapore. He also has experience running bakeries and working as a chocolatier. Now his goal is empowering his students to make smart food choices and pursue their passions in culinary arts. Roselle Antepuesto is one of those students. She's a high school senior at Southwest Career and Technical Academy and the Top Chef student winner in Flavors for Life's latest next-gen culinary competition. She began baking nine years ago and has entered five different competitions, winning either first or second place in each. Her goals for the future include owning a cafe where she can serve up impressive and unique creations. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you for having us. So let's begin with Annarella. I'd like to know what prompted you to start Flavors for Life in the first place.
7: Well, I always like to work on prevention, like I said, and I also like to work with teenagers. I think they have so much potential to do whatever they want, and I love to see that. So I previously did this program for the American Heart Association. So when they discontinued the program, I kept it. So I was able to create our own organization called Flavors for Life and continue. What are some of the things that Flavors for Life does? Well, we like to promote healthy cooking and healthy eating in everywhere, you know, in the community, in the schools, with the chefs, with restaurant owners, everybody, moms, you know, everybody who has to cook, we can educate them.
1: Okay. Michael, how does Flavors for Life fit in with your goals as a culinary arts educator?
8: Um, You know, it actually aligns really well with what I try to teach in my classroom. I teach basic cooking, but I also teach nutrition in my classroom. And so being able to have a partner like Flavors for Life is really useful. When I think about when I was in school and how my mom taught me to eat, I remember her always telling me, like, if you shop around the perimeter of the grocery store and don't go down any aisles, you'll be able Mm -hmm. to choose healthy food. Um, And, you know, it's important for me to pass that on to my students as well.
5: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Roselle, how did you discover your passion for culinary arts at such a
6: young age? I was originally just watching on, you know, on YouTube, there's always random videos popping up. And I always saw these desserts that always look so interesting. So once I started watching them, I realized that I wanted to do that too. And it actually is kind of interesting because why I joined Flavors for Life competition was because I did wanna make healthier things because whenever I did start baking, people would always say everything's too sweet. So everything just kind of fell into place after that. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. How do you make
1: baked goods that are healthy?
8: Well, in my pastry two class, I teach uh, healthy baking uh, and it can be a bit challenging sometimes. So we'll take, um, we'll take a, a recipe and we'll make it with sugar and then we'll make it with a sugar, sugar substitute and we'll compare and contrast them so that my students can start to see the difference and understand what the functions of sugar in a baked good really are and what they do provide. And then how we can swap it out and create the same effects with alternate ingredients.
1: What are the healthiest alternate ingredients to sugar?
8: Well, with baking, I like to use like a, a Splenda substitute in place, but also honey is a good substitute and it can be a bit sweeter than sugar. So uh, getting that sweetness back into proportion can be a little challenging, but um, I find that, you know, there's so many different varieties of honey. So you can create more interesting flavors than you can with just regular sugar.
1: Roselle, how has your baking strategy changed since becoming involved with Flavors for Life?
6: I'm definitely more health conscious with everything. My original recipe did include a lot of sugar and I tried out different honey substitutes and I realized that each um, ingredient does affect it drastically like whenever I added in a new ingredient sometimes it would change the texture and all of that so as I go forward baking I really pay attention to how much um, of something I add and what it actually is.
1: Anarella, Las Vegas has a world-class hospitality industry What has the industry response been to Flavors for Life?
7: Well, some chefs really like it. Others don't. You know, we also have an event that is called the Gastronomic Affair. So we recruit chefs to participate. And some restaurants tell us, sorry, we don't have anything healthy in our menu. (laughs) So they don't participate. Yeah. But some are really excited and they're willing to change a recipe that they already have and make it healthier to participate.
1: Michael, does that align with your experience working in the hospitality industry here?
8: Yeah, you know, it does. Um, I spent a lot of my career with Wolfgang. And, you know, when I I, I was a pastry chef, but as I watched the savory cooks in the kitchen, I noticed that not only was it salt and pepper going into everything, but it was also salt, pepper, and a little bit of sugar going into everything. Mm. Um, okay. so, you know, we, in, in, fine dining restaurants, you have, you have guests that are asking very specific things. So, you know, we always had to be able to have a healthier option available or do something that could fit a specific dietary requirement of a client. So we were always, uh, while, while our food at its base level, wasn't super healthy at times, we were always able to kind of modify to meet our guests, uh, dietary restrictions.
1: Okay. And Michael, what prompted you to leave that hospitality industry behind in order to teach young people instead?
8: Well, I was working in Singapore and I wanted to feel a little bit more connected to my community. I wanted to feel like I was making a little bit more of a difference in my career. Um, and so when I moved back to the US, I was mentoring culinary students at the high school I went to with the, with the culinary teacher that I had when I was in high school. And she mentioned that there was a, a position opening up and it just, you know, at that point, I was just so passionate about helping the students that it just seemed like a natural transition for me to get into education.
1: Okay. Roselle, tell us more about how you plan to make an impact on the world with your culinary skills in the future.
6: Well, personally, I actually have a lot of allergies. So I plan to create recipes for others that have similar allergies. So then they can finally be able to enjoy like sweets and a lot of pastries um, that I couldn't growing up like I'm allergic to the top eight allergens. So I know how hard it is when I can't eat a macaron, or I can't eat like ice cream because of like lactose things. So In the future, I want to be able to have a cafe where people can go in and they don't have to worry about it as often as I did Mm because going into like a patisserie was always terrifying because sometimes I eat something and then people are freaking out, like, why are you like so red? (laughs) I want everyone to feel safer when they go to my cafe.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. What was your winning dish in the next gen culinary competition?
6: So I modified a Chinese custard. So originally it was just three ingredients. It was your egg, water or milk, and then sugar. So I changed it to have coconut water so it added more flavor along with pandan and mangosteen because they were my highlighted ingredient. They had a lot of health benefits. And then I was also able to change out the sugar for honey like um, Chef said earlier. After experimenting with different honeys, I was able to find the correct pairing because there were some like more florally ones while some paired more with other things. And then I topped it off with brulee pomelos and mangosteen and um, garnished with a tweel.
1: Nice. Okay. So I don't think every high school has a culinary arts program. What does it take to actually have a culinary arts program in every school?
8: Well, you're right. Not every school has a culinary arts program, but we are actually very fortunate here in CCSC that a lot of our schools do. It's a combination of, you know, our administration wanting to make sure we have these things on campus, but then also finding the right partners to come in and run the programs, um, you know I've been very fortunate uh to be able to bring my experience in, but also to learn from educators both uh in the culinary field, but also outside of culinary, you know, just in regular education, that have been able to uh, provide me with the tools to be successful in the classroom. You know, it's I I think there's this assumption that, oh, if you're a chef, you know exactly how to teach cooking. And you know, while I am I I feel like I was a pretty good manager out in the industry, approaching this with 45 students in your classroom versus a handful of employees can be a little bit different. So I think it's about having the right support um, and having the, uh, the partners on campus to help promote our program and make sure we have the resources that we need.
1: Okay, Annarella, can you let us know a little bit more about if someone's interested in finding out more about the programs you have, the events, the resources, Tell us a little bit more about what you offer and where they can go to find more of the details.
7: Okay, we have a a website, flavorsforlife.org, where mm-hmm. you can find all our educational videos that we created during the two years that we were not doing anything mm-hmm. in in you know, in the community. So, we have like a 100 educational videos of different topics on how food can help you Uh, with many sicknesses and how to prevent it too. Eating the right uh, foods, you know, food is medicine. So that's how we based all those videos. And then we organize the next gen competition once a year. There are 33 schools that carry the culinary program and we are already in 11. This year was a little hard for everybody but we still have, you know, uh, schools participating in the competition. We also have a gastronomic affair that we do uh, once a year, and that's our fundraising event. But we also educate the community at the same time because the chefs have to serve something healthy. They have to send us the recipe. We analyze it, we approve it, and then they sample that recipe the day of the event. And we are planning to have it this year in September.
1: Okay, we'll have to have you back on then right before that so that we can oh, talk sure. about <laughs> talk
7: about that event as
1: well. Okay, so once again, flavorsforlife.org will let you see all the educational videos, a list of the competitions, the fundraising events and other initiatives that Flavors for Life is doing around the Las Vegas Valley. And I wanna thank you all so much for being here today and talking to us about healthy eating options so that people can become healthier and you know more mindful of what they eat and how they prepare it. So thank you so much for being here, all of you.
8: Awesome. Thank You're you welcome. for having us. Yeah, thank you.
5: As in all human conflict, adults fight and children suffer. Today, seven and a half million children in Ukraine need to find water and shelter. They need safety and school. They need a place to sleep and comfort in the dark. Show them the world cares. Support UNICEF on the ground in Ukraine. We won't stop until every child is safe. UNICEFUSA.org Ukraine.
1: I'm Heather Vail with the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and this is your community events calendar for nonprofit initiatives around the Valley. April is National Child Abuse Prevention Month, and Prevent Child Abuse Nevada is on a mission to inspire healthy and safe communities for children and families. The Pinwheels for Prevention campaign provides an uplifting reminder of childhood and the bright futures children deserve. You can support the initiative by making pinwheels, planting a pinwheel garden, or displaying pinwheels at work. Find out more about the campaign at PreventChildAbuseNevada.org. April is also Autism Awareness Month, and more than 120,000 children in Nevada are affected by autism and other developmental disabilities. Touro University Nevada, home to the state's largest school of medicine, also houses the Center for Autism and Developmental Disabilities or CAD, a state-of-the-art facility offering therapy services for children from 18 months to 12 years old. Find out more about autism and CAD services, including their grant program at tourocad.org. That's tourocad.org. The Nevada Wheelchair Foundation is giving out free wheelchairs to those who need them and can't afford them. To request a wheelchair or help with the mission, visit NevadaWheelchairFoundation.org. Green Hour Planet is holding a giant Earth Day student farmers market on Friday, April 22nd from 9.30am to 1pm at Downtown Summerlin. Presented in partnership with the Bank of Nevada and Clark County School District, more than 500 student farmers will be selling their fresh produce from 60 CCSD school gardens. All proceeds go directly to participating school garden programs. Grab all the details at greenhourplanet.org. The Children's Heart Foundation's 19th Annual Walk with the Heart of a Child takes place on Saturday, April 23rd from 9 to 11 a.m. at Craig Ranch Regional Park. This one-mile walk supports the 1 in 100 children who are born with a congenital heart disease each year in the United States. Partner booths and entertainment will be on site as well. Get more info or register online at chfn.org. The Mob Museum is hosting a free family-friendly Community Safety Day Fair on Sunday, April 24th from 10am to 2pm in the new outdoor Mob Museum Event Plaza. With record numbers of accidents and fatalities on local roadways, traffic safety is an increasingly important issue in the Las Vegas Valley. In partnership with the Road Equity Alliance Project, the museum will showcase interactive experiences, activities and demonstrations, as well as giveaways, a food truck and more. Vendors include the American Red Cross, Car Seats for Christie, Clark County Safe Kids, CCSD Police, Las Vegas Metropolitan Police, RTC of Southern Nevada, UMC, UNLV School of Medicine, and Zero Teen Fatalities. Find out more at the MobMuseum.org. The Feed My Sheep Homeless Outreach is having their monthly Potluck in the Park on Monday, April 25th from 5 to 7 p.m. at the Sunset Park Pavilion. To volunteer, donate, or find out more about the organization's potluck-in-the-park events or regular street feedings, go to feedmysheepoutreach.com. The Douglas J. Green Memorial Foundation is holding their 8th annual Munchies for the Military donation drive until April 28th. Drop off your donations, such as breakfast items, snack foods, beef jerky, nuts, dried fruit, protein bars, wet wipes, and more, at various locations throughout Henderson, including Liberty High School, Paseo Verde Library, City of Henderson City Hall, or any Henderson Rec Centers. For other ways to support the Foundation or get involved, visit Douglas DouglasJGreenMemorialFoundation.org. The United Way of Southern Nevada is hosting their 65th anniversary Golf United Tournament on Thursday, May 26th at the Revere Golf Club. Join Chet Buchanan and UWSN president and CEO Julian High to honor the legends and leaders trailblazing the path for future generations. Buy your tickets or find out more at uwsn.org golf.
0: You saved my life. You held my hand when I was scared. You helped me say goodbye to my dad. You were an example for me. You gave me strength when I thought I had none left. I couldn't tell you then, but I want to say thank you, all of you, for everything. Thank you to the physicians, nurses, and others working in America's hospitals and health systems. A message from the American Hospital Association, American Medical Association, and American Nurses Association